What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. Humanist lore. Welcome to Humanist Lore, the podcast which explores reason and ethics. I'm your host, C-Dax. And I'm your co-host, Drake. In this episode of Humanist Lore, we are very proud to interview one of the founding fathers of the BC Humanist Association, Glenn Hardy. Glenn has devoted a large portion of his life to supporting the humanist worldview, and he has been a pillar of the BC Humanist community. The BC Humanist Association has provided a meeting place for people to discuss important topics and to build lasting friendships. It is also a place where members have collectively advocated for positive changes in society over the last 30 years. Glenn is the author of several books, including The Essence of Humanism and Reason with Compassion, which explore the history of secular humanism and what it means to live a meaningful life, a life which values critical thinking and genuine compassion. We would like to honor and acknowledge the great contributions of the founding members of the BC Humanist Association. Their hard work and dedication has helped raise public awareness about the philosophy of humanism. Their long-term commitment to the principles of reason and compassion have uplifted many lives, and their tireless activism has instilled fairness and equality into public policy. Some of the founding members of the BC Humanist Association include Glenn and Lorraine Hardy, Rufus and Polly Ashley, Tom Burnett, Wilson and Kate Dillon, Conrad Hadlin, Pat and Sandy Hutchin, Ernest and Uta Poser, Gordon and Goldie Rogers. And now, our interview with Glenn Hardy. Well, welcome to the program, Glenn. It's great to have you here. Well, it's always nice to be somewhere. <laughs> so, we wanted to know, what was your childhood like? Uh, generally, I was raised in a middle-class, uh, very comfortable home in, in Glasgow, in Scotland. Um, my parents were Scottish Presbyterians, which is a relatively mild form of religious neurosis. <laughs> but, uh, but they're very tolerant. My father was a deacon in the church. Uh, the deacon is uh, the person that uh, looks after the church as a business. They attended to repairs to the building and you know, landscaping and stuff like that. And so that was uh, his connection. My mother's was involved in auxiliary work uh, relative to that church. Also, in the, I went to the state school in Britain, and there were um, every morning there were Bible readings. Uh, we didn't engage in what you might call Bible study, but there were readings every uh, every morning just for five minutes or so. And then this was during the wartime, of course, for our early part of my teenage years. The war was on. So there were some limitations, some privations, shortages of things. And uh, to some extent that had a, an effect on me personally, but of course on society as a whole. The other significant thing about my childhood was 
there was a Jewish family that lived on our street and I became very friendly with that family and as a result learned a lot about Judaism and particularly family life in Judaism which uh, greatly impressed me. Yeah, so your family was a little bit religious, but not terribly religious. They were, it was kind of a formality, shall we say. Mm-hmm. They weren't fundamentalists. Uh, it, was, it was the thing to do in those days at that time. Okay, so that sounds like a pretty uh, middle-of-the-road sort of upbringing, not extreme religious or extreme anti-religious. No, just, just what everyone else did, it went along with the flow. Okay. Now, uh, we were wondering uh, what events led you toward uh, a sense of disbelief or maybe moving toward the, the humanist philosophy? Well, as, a, as I was saying earlier, I was sent to a Sunday school and the Sunday school raised more questions than it answered. Mm-hmm. That was the problem. It never got straight answers. And uh, that Jewish family I mentioned, they raised a lot of questions in my mind, which I then raised in the Sunday school. And the Sunday school didn't want to hear that, of course. So... That had a, a bit of an effect. By the time I was uh, 16, that was at the end of the Second World War, I'd pretty well given up on Christianity, although the notion of religion was still in the back of my mind, but certainly wasn't a, f- a feature of my life. What was it that put religion towards the back of your mind rather than the forefront? It was just something that people did. It was some, religion in our family was from 11 p.m. on Sunday to 12 p.m. on Sunday, but nothing else. There were no saying graces at the table. There was no discussion of religion of any kind at any time. And that was the extent of religious experience in, in, in my experience. And it was whatever they did in the church was a complete mystery to me. I have no mm-hmm. idea. Because I was in this funny Sunday school yeah. with all these questions that weren't being answered. You know, so. And then later on, you, you were in the military yourself, I recall oh, yeah. from your book. Well, the Korean War started in the 50. And... Uh, in Britain at that time, there was a national service of one sort or another. And my national service, I was drafted into the army for two years where I was trained as a land surveyor in the artillery. And so uh, so that completely squashed any ideas I had of religion. I mean, the, the, just the basic notion of uh, each side in a war worshipping the same God, you know, mm. doesn't make any kind of sense. Anyway, luckily my military service was not in Korea, Although it could have been just the luck of the alphabet. They split our unit into two alphabetically. And I was in the half that went to Hong Kong. The other half went to Korea. Oh. So a pure accident of alphabet. I served my military service with conspicuous caution <laughs> in a city where there was nobody to be shot at. Except maybe on Friday nights in the clubs, uh, on pay night. So after the war, you moved to Canada and, and you got involved with humanism. Tell us about that. Yeah, I emigrated to Canada in '58 and uh, took up a variety of jobs uh, with different agencies like uh, the Land Department in North Vancouver. And I was in, ran my own business for seven years uh, doing consulting work for architects. And then uh, I got involved at BCIT. I was the program head of the building department and then that was for 25 years and then I quit from there because the fun went out of it and moved to UBC laterally taught in the School of Architecture at Mm -hmm. UBC and the BC Humanist Association how did that start? well uh, interesting how one's life is um, influenced by minor accidents 
I was waiting for a friend downtown one day and uh, we were going to a movie or something and it started to rain. And so I was right outside the old library that used to be on Robson Street. I went into the, the mezzanine of the library and there were all the book racks there with you know, golfing and good housekeeping and so on. And one of the magazines was Humanists in Canada. And so I picked it off the shelf just purely by chance. And as soon as I opened it, I thought, these people are saying exactly what I think. And so I wrote to them in Ottawa. It was in Ottawa. There was no British Columbia group at that time. And uh, they gave me the list of subscribers to the magazine, of the ones that lived in Vancouver. And so through that, we were able to form a small informal group in uh, about 1980. Wow. So that's how it got going initially. In 1982, that group actually formed a small, uh, like a club, if you for lack of a better word, and started regular meetings. And that little club then applied for registration as a society, and that occurred in 1984. Wow, that must be a a lot of passion to keep a club going for more than 30 years. (laughs) I can give you one example of that. A couple of years after it got going, there was a lot of um, argument and uh, dissension as to what direction to go. And so the membership, which was initially about 20 or 30 maybe, declined to five. And at the annual general meeting that year, the only question on the agenda was, should we continue? Yes or no? And two voted yes, and two voted no. And I was the president that year, so I had to cast the deciding vote, and so I voted to continue. Wow, it's kind of like the human race. It almost didn't make it. (laughs) Yeah, almost didn't make it, yeah. It was that close. It would have come up again, I'm sure, but that's when it officially got going. So, Glenn... Yes. Why do you think so many people feel unable to live without belief in the supernatural? Well, it would be presumptuous of me to speak for everyone, so I can't do that. But I think in general, we can say that uh, it's conditioning during childhood. You hear from the most uh, the ultimate voices of authority, namely your parents, as to what you should think and how you should act and how you should uh, comport yourself. And uh, so I think that's a, a very large part of it. And it's not really until people um, like myself move out of the home, move away, that you begin to think a little bit more freely. You encounter differing thoughts in college and university and in the workplace, of course. And uh, that colours your thinking to some extent. And, and that's pretty much what happened to me. I just simply, it wasn't like I gave up on religion, it just slowly faded away. I didn't wake up one day saying, this is not right, it's all wrong. <laughs> it just faded away and was not important anymore, and has never become any more important yet. No, it, it's interesting that so many people don't really think about it critically. They're just like, well, this is what I've been told, this is what my family does, yes, and right. I, it's not my place to question it, no, you know. That's so. exactly right, yeah. I think uh, an additional point that might be made is that in uh, generally in uh, public education particularly you know there's a great lack of uh, opportunity for divergent thinking for critical analytical and creative thinking and to some extent that's now changing but uh, that was certainly the case when I was going to school and even my own son and and to some extent my grandchildren are beginning to break free of that Mm. Yes, it would be great if schools today and in the future would encourage children to think outside oh, the absolutely. box, to think, be critical thinkers. Absolutely, I think critical thinking is now in more curricula than uh, before. How do you think 
the philosophy of humanism could lead one to a more moral life or a better world? Well, if we think about humanist philosophy, basically it provides grounds for fellowship for those who share ethical values but who do not hold religious beliefs. And uh, out of humanist philosophy, uh, humanist morality is founded on what's generally called the golden rule, as articulated by Confucius, uh, long before Jesus, by the way, as an aside. And it's generally abbreviated as do unto others. Yeah, you can look up a longer version of it on the internet, but, but that's the basic concept. Based on lengthy human experience of what works and what doesn't work, what is intrinsically right and wrong, and not on commandments handed down from so-called authority. If each individual adopted these truths, the world would be a much better place. Do you think that going into the humanist way of thinking made you a more compassionate person in general? Yeah, I think it's, the answer would be yes. One of the things humanism does is it offers fellowship, and fellowship by definition means being involved with your fellows. And so one of the great strengths, I think, of the humanist movement, and particularly our local group, is the opportunity every week to get together with like-minded people, share ideas, and share some food and drink as well, share social events like movies or theatre or whatever, dinners. And so I think that that's, uh, to my mind, that's a fundamental issue in humanism, is the fellowship aspect. In my own case, again, speaking from personal development, you may recall in the, I guess, about the 70s, there was a movement towards meditation. And I picked that up to some extent just to, to see what it was all about. And one thing, it did two things for me. It lured, lowered my blood pressure, which was a plus. <laughs> Great. But also it made me be more reflective and uh, to, to consider other people's points of view. And that is uh, tolerance. Mm. And that is the humanist of virtue. So who has inspired you in your life's journey and why? Well, I think two people. Um, the first would be my own mother, although she, despite her Christian uh, upbringing and, uh, and, and firmly held Christian beliefs, uh, she was a very uh, kindly, uh, tolerant person. I put up with a lot of nonsense from myself and my sister. and my, I had an older brother who died when I was uh, 16, but, um, and also her husband. She um, encouraged him and his, uh, where he, was, he ran a small uh, engineering company, and um, so he spent a lot of time on that. But she was very uh, uh, tolerant. Life wasn't easy for women in those years any more than it is now, I guess, but um, there was much more of a division of uh, responsibilities, and my mother fell into that category, part, partly by choice, but partly by circumstance. Yeah. The other person would have to be Bertrand Russell, Without doubt, uh, Bertrand Russell, a British philosopher, he, uh, the things I liked about him was the strength of his ideas, the clarity with which he could express these ideas, and his personal courage to pursue the ideas, even to the extent of uh, imprisonment. And uh, yeah, he was often in jail for pacifist... Uh, Is that right? uh, uh, you know, ..public demonstrations of pacifism. And so very much impressed with that. He was willing to listen to other points of view and to make confrontational arguments to support his own stances without becoming belligerent or avoiding uh, name-calling. He also insisted on holding opinions backed by evidence, logic and the scientific me method. And I think these are criteria uh, worthy of emulation. 
his writing was, was of such quality, it would put people off. <laughs> yeah. Now, I became a writer um, largely out of, uh, for reasons of ego. I think most books are written for that reason, that you have some ideas which you think the rest of the world doesn't understand, and so you want to set them down and, and set them right. And so my first three books were on building technology, uh, aspects of contracts and estimating and specifications, things of that kind. And my next two books were on humanism, written essentially as uh, as primers, as textbooks of if you want to be a humanist, here's how to do it. Well, that's good. I mean, we really need education in the area of what humanism is as an alternative to traditional religious theology. Absolutely, yeah. And um, there's plenty of it. It's just hard to find. If you go into any branch of Vancouver Public Library, you'll find shelves full of books on on the various religions, specifically Christianity, on witchcraft, on uh, all sorts of things. You'll be lucky if you find anything on free thought, critical thought. <laughs> and uh, I, in fact, I even um, had an exchange of correspondence with the Vancouver Public Library on that very subject. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I went to several of the branches specifically looking for books and magazines on free thought. And it was absolute zero. There was nothing there. Plenty at the main branch. And the librarian said they can always order these books. And my reaction was, you can't order them if you don't know they exist. Yes, exactly. So get some of these books out of the main library and get them into the branches where the people are. So that's that's a word of advice to all you out there. Go to your library and demand that they get more free ask, thought books. Absolutely, ask for them, yeah. <laughs> and, and they'll do it, they will do it. Uh, exactly. But uh, they won't do it if they don't know about it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Glenn. It's been a great pleasure speaking with you today. Well, I think I've enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, thank you for asking the questions. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Humanist Lore.